This message was recorded at Fillmore Baptist Church in Princeton, Louisiana. Our goal is to faithfully preach the Word of God for the salvation of sinners, the strengthening of believers, and the glory of God. Please visit our website at www.fillmorebaptist.org and listen for more information at the conclusion of this message. Heavenly Father, we do lift up Susan to you. Lord, uh, Lord, you know she's, she's gone through so much um, and uh, yet uh, displays uh, good attitude and Lord, we we just uh, thankful for her, thankful to know her, to be around her. And Lord, we, we pray for her now and ask for healing. Uh, Lord, we pray, uh, may she know your presence. Lord, may uh, we ask that you intervene uh, in this situation and uh, give those who are treating her wisdom and doing what needs to be done. Lord, grant uh, Susan comfort grace, strength. And again, we ask for recovery, for healing. And Lord, uh, other procedures, other situations she faces ahead that were already scheduled, um, we pray for her concerning those as well. Again, asking for good results and praying that all this uh, work out for your glory. We know, uh, according to your word, that you work all things for good to those who love you and are the called according to your purpose. Lord, again, we pray that all this results in her good and your glory. And Lord, tonight, uh, again, we ask for uh, your guidance here and your direction in our study for the edification of your people, the salvation of those who may not know you who may be here and not know you and for ultimately for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right. If you would turn to uh, Matthew 6. Let goods and kindred go, this mortal life also, (laughs) the body they may kill. His truth abideth still. His kingdom is forever. Words of Martin Luther um, that we just sang a few moments ago. Uh, What an exhortation. I shared, uh, I think, last week, maybe a week before, a story of uh, Polycarp, um, which uh, kind of illustrates that kind of attitude. Um, I should say just again, just briefly, you know, he was brought before uh, the emperor, uh, brought before the rulers in Rome. And here was the, the problem, and this is kind of an interesting thing. Um, the, the, the problem, the reason that brought about persecution in the early church was not so much because they were Christians. The, uh, the Roman culture was... Uh, Somewhat like ours in the sense that you, you just had all manner of beliefs out there. Uh, uh, I would say worse than our own culture in some ways. I mean, we're, we're shocked at some of the things we see happening in our day. If you go back and, and uh, look at a uh, little bit of history on, uh, er, the, er, on the Roman Empire, and especially first century and then a little, little later, of course, would have been Polycarp. I think he was second century. 
Um, but uh, a lot of the uh, paganism was just blatant, um, especially in terms of, of immorality, you know, sexual immorality. Uh, you read the book of Acts and, and, and you, you'll find uh, uh, allusions to that. But the problem was not so much that you had this group, Christians, believing something different. There was all kinds of different beliefs out there. Where the problem came in was that the Christians gave their devotion to Christ and Christ alone. You know, there was no uh, synthesis. It wasn't, okay, we're going to worship Christ along with the emperor or along with Diana or something to that effect. It was, of course, the attitude of the Christians were, we're, we're going to uh, worship Christ and Christ alone. You know, we're not bowing to the goddess Diana. We're not, we're not acknowledging um, the divinity of the emperor and committing our allegiance to him. And that's why Christians were persecuted. And that's why they were viewed as uh, atheists. They were called atheists because they did not believe in the Roman gods. And that's, uh, again, in the story of Polycarp. He was, he, was, uh, he was Christian, 86 years old when he was put to death. And he was uh, commanded to swear allegiance to the emperor, basically confess the emperor as Lord, and denounce the lordship of Christ. And uh, the way that he was asked to do that was, uh, well, to again, to announce, uh, proclaim his allegiance to the emperor, and then to say, away with the atheist meaning Christians, you know, away with the, he was going to condemn the, the Christians. That's what he was told to do. And he refused to do that. He, he said the phrase, as I mentioned before, away with the, with the atheists, but he, he uh, targeted the, the people in the crowd and the, the emperor with the phrase rather than targeting the Christians. <laughs> and, and Polycarp said of Christ, 86 years I've served him and he has done me no harm. And am I now going to deny him. And, and he went on, you can find his statements and read them, but he went on and, and, uh, to say, let me, let me make it clear who I am. I am a Christian. And shortly after that, he was burned, put to death. Let goods and kindred go this mortal life also. The body they may kill. His truth about it still. His kingdom is forever. Now that's, that's not truth merely for Martin Luther or Polycarp or Hugh Latimer, Nicholas Ridley, Thomas Cranmer. You can go down the list. Scriptural martyrs, Stephen, the apostles we know, uh, at least according to tradition, uh, all of whom died martyrs' death except for the apostle John. That, that truth is not just for them. That truth is for all Christians. There, there is one King, one Lord, one who is worthy of, of our devotion, the affections of our heart. 
and everything else, we have to be willing to let go of in for devotion to Him. Let's look again at verse 19, Matthew 6. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is that is the darkness. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Now, I pointed out several times as we were working our way through the Beatitudes that what Jesus is doing there is... is Letting us in on revealing, exposing the character of the Christian, of the kingdom heir. This, these are characteristics of those who inherit the kingdom of God. They're poor in spirit. They're meek. They hunger and thirst for righteousness. They are peacemakers and so on. This is how they are. This is their disposition. Or let's say it this way. Let's personalize it. I think this is what Jesus is saying. If we're Christians, if we are truly born again, if we've been regenerated by the power of the Spirit of God, if the Spirit of God indwells us, and if we are truly heirs to the kingdom of God, what Jesus is saying, we are different. We've got a different mindset. We see things Differently. We're poor in spirit. We're meek. We're mourners. Why? Because we see the reality of our own sin. We see the bankruptcy of our own soul. We stand before God as undeserving and having nothing to put before Him as worthy of His attention, worthy of His merit. We're poor. We're needy. And we view the world differently. We, we see the brokenness. You know, we look around and we see the results of sin in, in our own life and in those around us and in happenings. We live in a broken world. We pick up a newspaper and we read about earthquakes or floods or mudslides or famines or riots. And the Christian sees that and understands we live in a Genesis 3 world. We're, we're different. We have different values. And by that, I, I don't just mean scruples or, you know, 
a, a different morality, although, of course, we should. But, but I mean, really in terms of valuing things, our hearts aren't set on the same things. We have a different standard. We see things as, um, well, as, as belonging to one of two realms, either that of this world or that of eternity in the kingdom of God. And we devalue the things of this world and we treasure the things of God. We see things differently. We have different values. Our affections are not on the things of this world. We don't desire to accumulate the things of this world. We don't, because again, we don't view them the same way. Our, our life should be different than those around us. Now, I think that's true not only of uh, first century Roman culture, you know, or second century. A man like Polycarp would, would not uh, bow down, uh, confess uh, the lordship of the Roman emperor. He was different in that sense. It's true of us as well. We live in this world differently. And I think, again, that's what Jesus is saying. While the world is self-seeking, Christians are kingdom seekers. They hunger and thirst for righteousness. They see the absence of it. They see the void. We see the void. We desire for that void to be filled. We long for the day when we stand complete. Before God. Our, our hearts, our affections are set on those things. Things belonging to eternity. Things belonging to the kingdom. Let goods and kindreds go. This mortal life also. Why? Because the kingdom of God is forever. And that's where our heart is. Nothing here has that kind of appeal. Nothing here has that kind of value for us. The same thought is being carried on here. That's why Jesus says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. That is, incorruptible treasures. Treasure that can't be taken away. <laughs> they, they could, you could take a man like Luther or whoever you want to point out in church history, Polycarp, they could take away his goods. They can do that. They could come in here today and take away everything we own. It's been done in, in history. It's been done in the past. It's done today. Not so much in American culture, but in other cultures. I was just a few days ago reading about uh, a couple in Asia you know, being taken and beaten, a man jailed. It, it happens today. They can take everything you own of, of this world things of this world. And Luther's saying, let them go. Let them go. Why do we put value on those things? They're temporary. They rust, Jesus says. They corrupt over time. I heard somebody say, I thought this was good advice for buying a car. I heard somebody say one time, pick out a car that you will like when it gets old. 
<laughs> you know why? Because it's, it's, it's going to get old. And I mean, unless you can afford to just swap them out every year or something and stay in a new one, it, it's going to get old. So pick out one that you're going to like when it starts to decay and when it starts to go bad. The, the treasures, the earthly treasures, decay. They, they rust, they corrupt, thieves break in and steal them. So Jesus says, don't, don't store up, don't, don't try to accumulate those kinds of treasures. Those kinds of riches have, have wings and they, and they fly off at some point. If they don't, you will. And I will. So don't, don't store up those kinds of treasures. Don't lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal. Lay up heavenly treasures that never fade, much less totally corrupt. <laughs> the knowledge of Christ... The blessings that He brings. He's given us all spiritual blessings in heavenly places, Paul says. The knowledge of Christ and the blessings that He brings are worth just as much today as they were 2,000 years ago. And 10,000 years from now, they'll have the same value because God and the things of God have infinite worth. There's, there's nothing, like the courses and songs, Scripture says, there's nothing that can be compared to God. He's of infinite value, infinite worth, and it never depreciates. He never depreciates. It's an investment that you don't have to worry about going bad. It's not a gamble. You're not, you're not taking a, taking a chance, shooting the dice. It's a sure investment. Lay up treasures in heaven. Put your heart there. Let goods go, even kindred if necessary. Even this mortal life if necessary. Because it's all temporal anyway. Our life is a vapor. You're you're here a short, short time. And it's over. Have you ever been around somebody, uh, anybody, that's dying, that's close to death, and they know they're close to death? Have you ever been around anybody like that and had them say, you know, I wish I had accumulated a few more things. I wish I'd gotten that bigger car. I wish I'd gotten that nicer house. Maybe there's been some that have said that. I don't know. I've never heard anybody say that. It's amazing, isn't it? How how much those things seem to mean to us when things are good. I mean, you know, when there's good health, when there's good income or whatever, when there's no persecution. But when death and eternity becomes real, or really what I mean by that is when we get a clearer view of it, uh, those things are seen for what they really are. And again, that's what Jesus is saying. He's saying this is, the, this is what characterizes the kingdom heirs. 
For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And the, air, the hearts, rather, of the, ching, of the kingdom of, of, uh, of God, the hearts of the children of the kingdom, belong to Him. Their treasures in Him, our treasures in Him, that's where our heart is. The eye is the lamp of the body, so if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. Now, this is an interesting uh, statement, isn't it? It's kind of a, almost a, 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 an enigma or a parable. It's, it's, it's a, uh, an analogy, metaphor. The eye is the lamp of the body. How, how light enters the body and affects the body. If your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, and the idea there is morally bad, evil, if your eye is evil, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? Now, what is Jesus saying? Is He, is he uh, saying there... Is he just talking about your physical members? You know, if you've got if you've got a good eye, then you can see well, and you know you'll your your whole body's affected in a positive way. And if you've got a bad eye, if you can't see too good, or you're blind, then your body's full of darkness, and you're you're gloomy, you're depressed, you're in bad shape. No, again, it's a metaphor, and he's I think talking about the same thing he's been talking about all along. He's talking about total devotion to. God, total devotion to Christ, undivided devotion. The eye is the lamp of the body. Speaking about the soul, probably the understanding, and, and, and your, your, the eye in terms of your, your focus, what you're, what you're looking at, what you're fixed upon. The eye is the lamp of the body, so if your eye is healthy, that is, if it's, if it's good, your whole body will be full of light. You're, you're focused on the right things. Then your soul is healthy. But if your eye is evil... You're in darkness. Or if it's divided. Verse uh, 22, if your eye is healthy, that can be single. Uh, that word can be translated single. If your eye is single, your whole body will be full of light. Again, he's talking about singleness of heart. Undivided devotion. Treasures in heaven. Because it's really an either or. Your, your, your heart and your treasure is in heaven, or your heart and your treasure is here. If your treasure's here, your heart's here. If your treasure's in heaven, your heart's there. But it's, but it's an either or. It's not, it's not both and. Well, I have some treasure here, and I have some treasure in heaven, and my heart is divided. I have my, my affections set here, and I have my affections set on Christ. That's an evil eye. That's a divided focus. 
And what Christ is calling for is a, a, a singleness, single vision, undivided heart. In fact, again, I think what he's actually saying is this is characteristic of the kingdom children. In Psalm 86, verse 11, David prays for this. Teach me your way, O Lord, that I may walk in your truth. Unite my heart to fear your name. Interesting prayer, isn't it? Lord, unite my heart. Give me me a, a single eye, a healthy eye, so that my body is full of light, so that spiritually I'm healthy. Unite my heart to fear Your name. Undivided, total devotion. Treasures in heaven. Singleness of heart. Good or healthy eye. Because, verse 24, no one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God in money. Now, <clears throat> Jesus puts this forward as an exhortation in verse 19, 20, 21, 22. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, or on earth rather, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eye is healthy, your whole body is full of light. If not, you're in darkness. If your eye is evil or divided. And why, again, I say I think he's describing what's characteristic of the believer. Why? Because it's one way or the other. No man can serve, no one can serve two masters. The kingdom heirs are devoted to Christ. Forgiven, saved by grace. They're poor in spirit. That is, they understand that they're spiritually bankrupt. They have nothing to bring to the table. And because of that, they're meek. And they mourn over their own sin and they hunger and thirst for righteousness. And they're peacemakers. Because God has made peace with them. That's their character. And because of all these things, they have and display, not not of their own merit, but because of the grace of God and the merit of Christ, because of all these things they have in display, a righteousness that exceeds that of the Pharisees. That is, just as we've been talking about, there's, it's, it's void of hypocrisy. It seeks the reward of the Heavenly Father and not earthly reward, the praise of men. It's 
total devotion, Christians are characterized by devotion to Christ. Because you cannot, and Jesus seems to be emphatic to me here about it. In other words, it's an impossibility. You cannot serve two masters. He says one or the other is going to happen. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. Now, the word he uses for serve here is not the word deacon that you so often see, but it's related to the term doulos, slave. So, it's the idea of slave service. Now, you could, if it were the word deacon... And if it, if, if it were just the idea of employment, it's possible to hold two jobs, isn't it? You could be devoted to two employers. Talked to a young lady this morning that was doing that, working two jobs. It's not uncommon. And you can divide your attention, assuming they'll work their schedule with you. But when you're a slave, that means somebody owns you. And you can't be owned by two masters, really. I mean, you, you, you've, you're committed to whoever owns you. And that's what Jesus is saying. You cannot be a slave to two masters. And in another place, He says you're a slave to whom you obey. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. So on the surface, oftentimes it seems, doesn't it, as though our devotion is divided. That may be indicative of a deeper problem. Perhaps... And this is what Jesus seems so often to allude to and the other uh, Scripture uh, authors as well. Um, Perhaps the reality is that we're not one of His at all. After all, if we're friends of the world, then we're the enemies of God. You cannot serve two masters. It's an impossibility. There's total devotion to one. You cannot serve God and money. That's an interesting way to sum it up, isn't it? Comment. You cannot serve God and money. Serve money. How do you serve God? How do you serve Money. Why can't you do the two? I was reading, uh, and, and I've, I know I've recommended this book before, but um, um, get your hands on it. By all means, read it. Desiring God by, uh, by John Piper. And that's probably the, uh, uh, the best explanation I've seen for what, what Jesus is saying here. I don't have it before me, but but I'll just paraphrase it in my own words. Um, again, Jesus is calling for total devotion here. He's calling for uh, heartfelt service to God, 
But what does that mean? How do we serve God? Now, Piper addresses it for, for, for a little bit of a different subject, but I think it's, it's applicable here, and he, and he is uh, commenting on this verse. How do you serve money? If we, if we understand what Jesus is getting, here by, getting at here by serving money, then it will help us understand what He's getting at by serving God, or, or vice versa, because, because He sets the two uh, as, as opposites. But the service has to be similar, because, you know, it has to be the same, because you're, you're saying you can't serve both. You can't be a slave to both. You're either a slave to God or you're a slave to money, which would mean... If you're a slave to money, that your your heart is really here. You're 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 storing up, laying up treasures here on earth, rather than heaven. If you're a slave to God, then your your heart is there. Your affection is set on Christ and on heavenly things, and you're storing up treasures in heaven. And here's the way Piper explains uh, service to money. Um, well, first let me say what it's not. You you don't. You don't, if, if you're serving money, you're not running around doing things for it like, like you would, like if you were a waiter, you would serve your customers, right? In other words, money is not benefiting by your service, right? I mean, if you're serving tables at a restaurant, then uh, those people are, are benefiting. If you're good at it, they're benefiting by what you're doing. You're, you're bringing them things, catering to them. Doing for them. And that is often the way, if we're not careful, we think of service to God. In fact, this is exactly what John Piper's warning against. This is why he addresses this. Because we don't want to think of serving God in those terms. Because he doesn't need anything from us. We, we, can't, we can't bring him anything. He needs nothing. So what then does it mean? What kind of service is this? You cannot serve God and serve money. Well, again, John Piper describes serving money in this way. You, you do everything you can to put yourself in the position to benefit from it the most. Now, that's, that's a great description of how the world lives. You do everything you can to put yourself in the position in which you will benefit the most from money. Now the question is, is that how we live? And you don't have to think strictly in terms of cash. Money buys things, doesn't it? I mean, it buys us comfort. It buys us possessions. So you don't have to think strictly in terms of cash. Just think in terms of things, worldly things. Pursuit of worldly things. That would be service to money. You're going to do everything you can within your power to put yourself in the position to enjoy the most comfort. Are the most ease. Are the most, you know, as far as accumulation, you know, just accumulate toys and possessions and 
everything that you can receive from or because of money. So what Piper's arguing for and what Jesus, I think, is commanding here is that what we would be consumed with is not, not that, not putting ourselves in a position to benefit the most from money, but what would be our concern, what is the concern of kingdom heirs is serving in the sense of putting yourself in the position to benefit the most from God. That's, that's the aim of our life. That's the direction. That's where our heart is. That's what our affections are set upon. Let good and kindreds go. This mortal life also. The body they may kill. His truth about us still. His kingdom is forever. And I think that's what Luther's saying. Things of this world, even my own life, in this world is temporary. So the, the Christian desires to benefit the most, not from money, but from God. <laughs> to enjoy the blessings of God. To seek, look to, go after, pursue the reward of the Father. That's what Jesus has been saying all the way through here. Pray unhypocritically, in secret, your Father who sees will reward you. Fast, unhypocritically, not, not looking to be seen or to be congratulated, but just doing it for the right reasons, in intimacy with God, do it in secret, Jesus says, you'll be rewarded by your heavenly Father. Give alms, not to be seen. That is, give to the poor, do charitable deeds, not to be seen. But just out of, out of love, out of love for God, out of love for fellow man, and do it in secret. And Jesus says, your Father who sees in secret will reward you. The kingdom heirs, the children of the kingdom. That's the reason we're called children of the kingdom, because we're citizens of a heavenly kingdom. And we don't serve two masters, the world and God, or you could say the world and heaven, or money and God. Jesus calls for total, undivided, heart, Devotion to God. Serving Him in the sense that you do everything you can. This is the aim, the goal of your life, to put yourself in the position to benefit the most from Him. Because that is what you value more than anything. Christ Himself. 
the reward of knowing Him, being with Him forever. The question is, is that what characterizes our life? Jesus saying this is the way the kingdom heirs are. Is that the way we are? Does our life, does my life, look more like what Jesus is describing here or does it look more like everybody else around me in our society? Am I pursuing the same things that my neighbors are pursuing? Am I pursuing the same things that the rest of our culture is pursuing? Does my life, regardless of what comes out of my mouth, does my life say, the way that I live, does my life proclaim that I have different values than the rest of society? No one can serve two masters. An impossibility. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God in money. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are thankful for Your Word, for the exhortation. Lord, we look to You for enablement. Not only to understand these things, but to do these things. It's Your power that makes them active in our lives. And Lord, even enablement to will to do. You command us to go. You command us to do. And Lord, we pray, grant what You've commanded. May our our hearts be devoted to You and You alone. Not out of mere mechanical duty, but out of love and thanksgiving for Your great mercy and grace. May we be moved by gratitude and by promise of reward. to serve You faithfully, that is to desire You above all things. And to point others in that direction also. May it all be for Your honor and glory, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. This sermon is made available through the ministry of Fillmore Baptist Church in Princeton, Louisiana. Our desire is to faithfully proclaim the message of salvation which God has provided in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ our Lord. For more resources and information, please visit our website at www.fillmorebaptist.org. You may use the links there to contact us or write us at Fillmore Baptist Church, 6304 Highway 80. Princeton, Louisiana, 71067.